0: This message is brought to you by Cornerstone Gospel Church in Frankston, Australia. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. Obviously, I'll have the text up here in just a moment. But Philippians chapter 4, um, and then keep a finger in Colossians 2 as well, because we'll we'll go there also in just a moment. Let's, let's just pray for the message here this morning. Um, uh, we always need prayer. As preachers, I believe, and we need God just to temper our hearts and ensure that what we're saying is uh, biblical and uh, is on point. Uh, So let's just pray that God will um, bless this message to our ears. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you, Lord, for the instructions we receive from it. And we ask you, Lord, bless your word to our lives this morning. Help us to have open ears and open hearts. Uh, Lord, to the truth of your word. And Lord, where we are in error in teaching, correct us and help us that we might uh, be constantly fine-tuning our message to be in accordance with your word. Uh, Lord, we praise you and we thank you, and I sincerely thank you for all those who followed online and have uh, kept uh, Cornerstone uh, continuing as a viable uh, effort in this world. Help us, Lord, in these days. Amen. Well, just one last thing before we get into the message. I just want to let you know that at the end I'm going to have a couple of links because I think there is something you can do uh, in this time as well. You and I don't have to sit by and just be looking forward to one, you know, one week of streaming and we don't have to be entirely um unable to outreach to people in this time of lockdown. And so we'll we'll have a little discussion about that at the end. So let's get into the message. We are looking at the process of growth. And so far, we've looked at lots of subjects. And we want to move on this morning to looking at the subject of help. There's an immature view of uh of many Christians, and that is that we see God just as our just as our help, and, and He definitely is a help uh, to us. The Scripture declares God as an ever-present help in times of trouble, but He is not simply a helper. And it's the immature prayer life that that just calls out to God for help in this and help in that. Help me with you know my job. Help me with you know it's the immature view that sees that. Um, because we're not seeing what we have in Christ correctly when we are just continuing in that way. Now, for instance, God didn't just help you to be saved. When you prayed uh, and placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the prayer was not, Lord, help me to save myself. The prayer was, in essence, God, I'm nothing and I'm worthless and I cannot save myself. Now we may not have said those words at all, but uh, we may we may have said something along the lines of, "Lord, I am a sinner, and I need forgiveness." And the, the essence of that prayer is the realization that there is no forgiveness uh, within our within our own selves. You know, we can't earn or deserve that forgiveness, and so. Uh, We didn't pray for help to be saved. We prayed for God to save us. And um, in the same way, God God doesn't intend to just be a helper in the Christian life. This this stems from a wrong thinking about how the Christian life functions. And uh, now that's, I just want to be clear. I'm not saying it is wrong to pray for God's help. All right. Um, But... If we just um, are thinking of God helping us all the time, we're missing a very key and important point in the Christian life. So let's continue with Philippians uh, chapter 4 this morning. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned uh, before, but you lacked opportunity not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content. Sorry about the typo there. um, In whatever circumstances I am, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. And I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled with, And going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Colossians 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him... All the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, it's important to note the words... um, In verses uh, 9 to 11, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So that is uh, a poetic way or or a beautiful way uh, in, in which Paul says that Christ was God in the flesh and all of deity that could be crammed into human flesh was crammed into him. And in him you have been made complete. Now notice that the this is a, an act that has been committed in the past. That would be when you professed your faith in Christ Jesus, you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. You have been made complete, not through human effort, but in him. This is the vital thing, verse 10. And in him you have been made complete. And he... Is the head over all rule and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. In other words, this was not a circumcision conducted um, uh, in childhood or at any other time, but it's a circumcision that God did in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And this is a circumcision of the heart. And, of course, these are taken from the New American Standard uh, this morning. So this is a circumcision of the heart here, and um, uh, which is another way of saying having been sanctified and marked by God as being his children. Moving on to verse 12 having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, I I believe that the buried with him in baptism here is uh, the immersion into Christ uh, that occurs when we place faith in Jesus Christ and we're born again, that we are immersed into Christ. He's not talking about any salvific power that might apparently exist in uh, water baptism, as you know, that that water baptism is an act of obedience that once a person has been born again, then they should get water baptized. And it is a a vital uh, thing because it aids us with the cleansing of conscience. Um, So, however, um, the baptism that I believe that Paul is talking of here in Colossians is a Uh, This immersion into Christ and that when we were immersed into Christ through faith in him, we were then raised up uh, from the dead, being dead in our sin. This is the work that God did. So through faith in Jesus Christ, we were buried with him. And likewise, then we were resurrected to a new life. Verse 13, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him having forgiven us all our transgressions, having cancelled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed, sorry about the typo again, it's actually because I did a a cut and paste out of Logos and um, they are the little footnote markers that exist there and uh, today I've forgotten to remove them. So verse 15, when he had disarmed the rulers and authority, uh, authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. So this is the, the entirety of the um, uh, certificate of debt that you and I had, the charges of, uh, of the, that were laid against us they were so fully and completely finalized. Paul cannot say it any stronger. He says they were nailed to the cross with him. And at the cross, Jesus declared, it is finished. And so sin has been dealt with in Jesus Christ at the cross. And by faith in Jesus Christ, you and I have been made to be new people. And uh, and then subsequently, through faith in him, we have been buried with Jesus into that death having been crucified with him, we've been buried with him into that death and then raised again into a new life. And now the decrees that were against us have no longer have any standing against us. So praise the Lord for that. Now, um, Dr. Conant has said, Christian living is not our living with Christ's help. It is Christ living his life in us. Therefore, that portion of our lives that is not his living is not Christian living. And that portion of our service that is not his doing is not Christian service. For all such life and service have but a human and natural source. And Christian life and service have a supernatural and spiritual source. Paul insisted for me to live is Christ And I can do all things through Christ. Well, much Christian service and behavior stems from human sources. Let's rephrase that. Much of the service and behavior that is performed by Christians stems from human services. And uh, sometimes it can even be marketing driven. Uh, churches can be on a growth campaign, for example, that they they can think that by growing the numbers of the church, the growth uh, of the church will somehow bring greater validity to the Christian cause. Um, Sometimes there is a a pattern of church behavior that exists, and so a a church might um, have formulated a pattern that seems to work in their church, and then they take that pattern and they plant out um new uh, workers into the mission field and when they plant those workers out into the mission field they prescribe them to functioning by that pattern of church planting and so there is a procedure that they follow from step A through to B to C etc cetera, etc cetera. um sometimes it comes from a theological presupposition that that has somehow caused people to think in a certain way that if I am to achieve X, then it must be through this this way of behaving um, and whatever it might be. And so these come from human sources. And I would say just a moment ago, we we, um, uh, just shared in the Lord's Supper together. I would say that um, there are traditions about the Lord's Supper that are sometimes not biblical at all. And So uh, whatever it is and wherever it is from and whatever the intention is and the motivation is, if it's not of Christ, it's of self in some way. It may even be worse than that. Um, There are such things that Paul calls, for example, doctrines of demons. And so when people believe such false doctrines, it affects the way in which they then go about living their Christian life. It affects the way in which they engage in their Christian life, because as we think, then we behave. And so if a person is believing certain lies, those lies will dictate how they behave in life. And so uh, that then is either of a human or worse, it could even be of a demonic uh, origin, so um, so that's very important for us to keep in mind. If it's not of Christ, it is at the very least of self and possibly even of a demonic origin. Now, William Newell said, Satan's great device is to drive earnest souls back to beseeching God for what God says has already been done. Each of us has to go beyond the help stage for our new birth and thank him for what he had already done on our behalf. God could never answer a prayer for help in the matter of justification. Let me rephrase that. When we prayed for God to save us, We didn't pray, well, and if you did, you prayed wrongly. Um, Lord, help me to justify myself before you. The essence and the understanding of justification is that we had no self-righteousness by which we could merit justification. And so if we somehow prayed that we might be able to justify ourselves before God, then we pray amiss. The same principles hold true for the Christian life. Our Lord Jesus waits to be wanted and to be all in us and do all through us. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. What if I said to you, it does not honor God for Christians continually to ask for help? Um you know now that might seem offensive to people this morning but if if a person for example is is caught in a uh, pattern of prayer if they think that they have to pray for salvation every day then they have not understood repentance and faith in Jesus Christ and as a consequence they haven't understood what justification means and how salvation is enacted upon the human life. Um, so, if they're then praying, God, help me to be saved, um, and repeating that prayer, either they haven't been justified and have not come to an understanding of um, uh, salvation, or um, they, you know, well, I-, I think that's the essence of it right there. So, I am not saying this morning not to petition God with your needs. I'm not saying that you and I have needs. There's no doubt about that. But there is to be something of confidence in the Christian life that that we recognize God has done a work, that there is a completed work that God has done in our lives, and there is a completing work that God is doing in our lives. And so we should have some confidence in God. We should have total confidence in God that He is in control. We we just read for in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him. I mean, just say those words back to yourself this morning on the on the bottom of the uh, the slide there, and you are complete in Him think about that. Let that sink in this morning, beloved. You are partially complete. You are being completed. Paul says you are. He says that that is a statement of present reality, that you right now are presently complete in Christ Jesus, complete in him. Now, the Prayer or the statement that Paul makes to the Philippian church, he says, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Does that sound like Paul thinks the church should be begging God for help? Does it sound like um, uh, that somehow we we are kept at, at, at bay by God and that we are um, uh, consigned to to crawling across broken glass, to petition God uh, to give us things to supply for us. That's not at all. Paul says, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, needs and wants are two different things. That's something we uh, often told our children when they were young, uh, that you know we, we were we were pretty broke um our our children uh grew up uh, grew up in a in a, a fairly um i wouldn't say austere but it, but it was by no means a luxury lifestyle it was it was pretty hard going many times and uh that's the kind of lifestyle they they grew up in because we uh focused on Suzanne being at home with the children to uh, to educate them and to raise them in godliness. And I was doing what men should do, um, trying to earn a living and provide for my family. Uh, that's a that's a biblical position, and it's what men do. Uh, and so it's what we should do. And so we had to believe God to provide for our needs. And We were not begging God. In fact, we were always astounded by how God just seemed to continue providing for us all the time. Uh, And we saw this to be especially true when we were in Macau, amazing, uh, you know, times in which God just provided for us right at the, you know, the 11th hour and the 59th minute, you know, just before it was going to tick to midnight when the deadline was needed and God would provide for us. Paul says, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, praise God. God is our father, uh, does provide many other blessings for us aside from just our needs. There are many uh, great joys that God brings into our life on top of that. But, But Paul is talking about what God provides for us to live the Christian life and to be a great Uh, blessing to the people around us. He provides our needs. This, This does not sound like Paul is begging God for help, does it? It sounds like Paul actually believes God will help. It sounds like he actually believes that everything we need, God already has for us and he will supply to us as we need it. What a great revelation for us to get a hold of, church, that, that everything you and I may be in need of, God already has, and he will supply it in due time, at the right time. Our responsibility is to see in the word all that is ours in Christ Jesus, and then thank God and trust him that he will provide that for us uh, in our time of need, and um, because he already has it for us. So, now this. Just take some time to consider this for a moment, because prayer must develop into stemming from the right position. Just let that let that ponder around in your heart. Uh, for a moment, prayer must develop into something that is stemming from the right position. Begging is not the nature of a believer's life. Now, I I want to reiterate, I'm not saying that you cannot earnestly petition God in your time of need for for everything you need but that that is not the same as begging it does not begging really does not reflect a father child relationship and and let that be paramount for a moment we have a loving father who cares about us and knows our every need and the nature of begging is not the nature of the believer's relationship to the father Now, asking is always something that is in order. It's something that is right to to ask, um, follow the Lord's Prayer, for example, that that prayer, petitioning God for our daily needs to be met. uh, You know, this is rightful. And, And so asking is a right thing. But asking... And, and trusting, ask and you shall receive, That that's a biblical position. Ask and you shall receive when we don't ask amiss. This gives way to under, understanding that which is ours in Christ is to be rightly appropriated. So there are blessings that belong to the Christian that are in Christ that you and I should rightly appropriate because they are scriptural in position. Remember that we have been united with Christ in his death and resurrection. Think about that word united for a moment. We have been united with him, joined together with him, not only in his death, not only at the cross and in burial, but raised again to a new life in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus. We've been united together with Jesus in the living of this Christian life. So that's not just a one-time thing by which we once prayed and we once uh, placed our faith in Jesus and we were united with him in the crucifixion and resurrection. It continues on now. You, as a believer, are united with Jesus Christ. Now, being united with Jesus. This is such an interesting thing. Think about this passage in Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 21. So then let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all things belong to you. And you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. Now, there's there is some uh, revelation in that that extends beyond me, but the the there is some foundation to appropriating that which is ours in Christ Jesus, because you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God, everything that is in Christ for us belongs to you. And we belong to each other. Notice that Paul says here that that they as the apostles, Paul, Apollos, and Cephas, as leaders and teachers in the New Testament church, they belonged to the church. So you and I belong to each other. Paul later in Corinthians will give that amazing lesson about the human body and then likening the human body to the Christian body. And he says how the the parts are jointly knit together or united together, that you and I have been united together in Christ Jesus and we belong the one to the other. And so this is the, the ground of appropriation that you are Christ's and Christ is God's. So Paul is pointing out that each believer possesses all the riches of the Christian life because they are in Christ and these riches are Christ's riches to bestow upon his children. So each one of God's servants, we belong to each other and no member of the church, you know, we shouldn't be saying I belong to Paul and I belong to Apollos. You don't belong to a church, you know, you don't belong to Cornerstone Gospel Church. Um, or or whatever other church um, it may be you belong to Jesus and as such the only church you belong to is the body of Christ and where you serve in the local church is a separate thing but you don't belong to that church that church is made up of the identity of believers who are the body of Christ and so uh, uh, that Adobe update has been happening. Now, and I click on it to update, and it won't do it. So, anyway, um, you and I belong to Christ, and therefore we belong to each other. So we're the body of Christ, not the. Um, we don't belong to Cornerstone, as I was saying. Now, we may have preferences regarding preachers or ministers of the Word of God. Um, you know, the the those preferences shouldn't be divisive prejudices um, you know I, I love the preaching of Leonard Ravenhill and and um, um, Paris Reedhead and and several others um, I, I love the writings of Warren Wearsby um, because of the balance in these men um, but these shouldn't become divisive prejudices in fact the preacher I may enjoy the least because of style or delivery or whatever it may be, maybe the one that I need the most uh and so my my judgment, my assessment of this preacher is going to be an assessment that is founded upon the Word of God. I'm going to be assessing that preacher's merit and truthfulness by assessing it through the Word of God. I should not be concerned about things like personality and delivery and all these kinds of things. Uh, all that sort of stuff. We are to keep our eyes on Christ and let him build the church. How rich we are in Christ Jesus. You see, he has everything we need that we might be able to be fully engaged in building the body of Christ in the world today. Now, Hebrews says that without faith, it is impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Let's pursue that attitude of faith that pleases God. Amen. Let's, let's pursue that. Um, coming to a close here, I've got this fantastic quote by Tozer. In our private prayers and in our public services, we are forever asking God to do things that he either has already done or cannot do because of our unbelief. We plead for him to speak when he has already spoken. All right? Let's just let's just define where God is speaking from. Okay. We plead for him to speak. Speak, Lord. Speak to me, Lord. Okay. You asked, and I delivered. So we plead for him to speak when he has already spoken and is at this very moment speaking. We ask him to come when he has already. Uh, when he is already present and waiting for us to recognize him. We beg the Holy Spirit to fill us while all the time we are preventing him by our doubts. So, uh, Toza, once again, cutting right to the issue. Uh, Dr. Gordon admonished that we are to claim his victory to overshadow us when we're in the thick of battle Um that is the believer's position because of his inheritance in Christ Jesus, and so it's not that it's not that you and I are not to approach God with our needs. I'm I'm not saying that at all. We are to do that, and when we approach God with our needs, um, God is there. He is there to provide for our needs, as we read earlier. But the the thing that we must understand is that this is our inheritance because we're in Christ Jesus it's not anything that rightfully belongs to the believer through our own virtue i'm not i'm not trying to reach a certain level of virtue that thereby i can receive christ's blessing I need his blessing in my life that my life then, through his spirit and, and through the enlightenment he brings through his word, my life then might grow and, and grow in virtue and grow in uh, faith and grow in strength and grow in knowledge, etc., etc. It's mine because of Christ, not because of me. The blessings Jesus has for you are yours because of Jesus, not because of you. And so if you're in Christ, if you've been born again, this is your inheritance in him. God's way of deliverance differs entirely from man's way. If you've been involved in the Word of Faith movement, you know that um, that people are often <laughs> going to deliverance meetings. They want deliverance from this and deliverance from that, and they think that that deliverance is going to be found in someone laying hands on them and praying for them to be delivered from whatever it is. And um, they go there as believers, and and uh, they. Get prayed for, demons to be cast out of them. Well, there is a, a contradiction because greater is he that lives in me than he that lives in that is in the world. And so if I am filled with the Holy Spirit, I cannot also be filled with a demon. Can I be oppressed by a demon? That's a discussion for another time. Let's let's keep going. Though. Clearly, we can be, but not possessed if we are believers. Man seeks to Suppress the urge to sin. See, we kind of have the idea of the twelve step program in the Christian world. You know, um, we know who the God we serve is in the Lord Jesus Christ, and so we um, we pray the Serenity Prayer, the the Born Again version of the ser- Serenity Prayer, and these kinds of things, so that we can help. We can ask God's help to help us in suppressing the urge to sin. And God's way, though, is to remove the sinner. Many Christians mourn over their weakness and they fail to see that they have been crucified with Christ and raised again to a new life. In Jesus, God has killed the old man and he has made us alive and made us a new man in Christ Jesus Christians often think if they were stronger, that all would be well then. And uh, the idea is something like this, because failure to lead a holy life is due to my weakness, my inner weakness, that something more is then demanded of me. And so this leads to a faulty conception that um, I have to become stronger. Now, I'm not uh, trying to denigrate the need for us to grow stronger, and even physical exercise, and and these kinds of things—they're—they're they're important things. But um, mental people can be mentally strong and still fail horribly, sinfully, uh, in all kinds of areas. You know, there is a logical thought to this kind of thing. They—they think that um, if I'm struggling with the power of sin and the ability to overcome that sin, naturally, then to gain the victory over sin I have to have more power on on the other hand, power in my Christian life so if I were stronger I would overcome my sin and that may be outbursts of anger or desire for pornography or self-righteousness the the seemingly um, more invisible uh, sins uh, you know, self-righteousness and pride and these kinds of things so we plead for the Lord to give us more strength but this is around the wrong way, because if we grow in Christ, more strength will be the consequence of that. You see, God's way of delivering believers is to make them weaker. This is a strange way of victory, isn't it? But it's the divine way, because when we think we're strong, we are walking in our flesh Beware when a man thinks he stands, then he falls. And so the key to Christian victory is understanding that the victory has been won by Christ. Lord, help me to walk in that victory. Help me to gain the inheritance of that victory in my life because I am weak and I am pathetic and I need your strength at work in me, not my strength. Because my strength leads to pride, and pride leads to failing. You see, freedom from the dominion of sin is found in crucifying the old man, not strengthening him. Let that sink in for a moment. You see, the believer doesn't have to dig for help. He doesn't have to beg and and plead and crawl over broken glass, as we said earlier, he does have to, thankfully, appropriate that which is already his in Christ and walk in that. And as he walks in what God gives him, God will give him more enlightenment. And as he walks in that, God will give him more enlightenment, etc., etc. More strength will come by him, as John says John the Baptist declared, I must decrease that he might increase. You see, it's not our strength that's important. It's Christ's strength in us. That's the important thing, church. You know, having Christ's strength in us. And I want to close um, the quote from Andrew Murray. A wonderful. Man of God. Andrew Murray said, even though it is slow, and with many a stumble, the faith that always thanks him, not for experiences, but for the promises on which it can rely, goes on from strength to strength, still increasing in the blessed assurance that God himself will perfect his work in us. Why? Why will God do that? Philippians one verse six. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. So, church, our the real help that we can uh, gain, the real help that you and I need. Is, begins with us, first of all, understanding what we have in Christ Jesus and understanding that uh, that Christ Jesus has already paid the price for us, that we have an inheritance in him, and that God cares about us so lovingly and, lovingly and, and caringly that he will provide for all. Spell that out. Even if you're dyslexic, I think you can get all correct. A-L-L. All your needs. God will provide all your needs in Christ Jesus. Now, that is either true uh, or scripture is misleading us. And I believe it to be intri- entirely true. That has been the experience of my life that God has provided for our needs. Um, and along the way, he's provided Many of our wants uh, as well, but he has always been there with our needs. And, uh, you know, I thank God for that every day. Let's pray and then uh, we'll just go on to one or two last things uh, as we round out this morning. Our Father, we thank you and we praise you here this morning. Uh, Lord, I thank you for each one that's joined with us uh, online, uh, that has Um, joined via Facebook, YouTube, DLive, wherever it might be, Lord. We just praise you and we ask you, Lord, that somehow uh, the words of this message will be a great blessing to them. Help us to grasp the inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus and that it is not by the efforts of our trying, Lord, but it is by all that you've done for us in Jesus Christ, our Lord, that we might gain uh, victory, through Jesus, because he has gained all the victory for us. As he declared on the cross, it is finished. So we praise you and we love you. We praise you for the glory of the gospel message and we praise you for the love that you've shown us in your beloved son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. You're welcome to duplicate this message in its entirety for non-profit purposes. For more information and resources, visit cgc.org.au.